You are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Dis- uh, Reconciliation. Hello my radio friends, it's good to have your company today and it's good to share what the Bible has to say, especially when we're faced with perplexing questions. I find it helpful to consider the Bible as a guidebook. The Bible gives counsel on the main issues of life. For example, it gives counsels on health, relationships, sex, good morals, what to do when someone has wronged you, and especially what should be done when we ourselves have done wrong. There seems to be a close correlation between the physical, psychological and moral well-being of society and the Bible. People groups who ignore the Bible have many more social problems than those who adhere to the Bible's teachings. Here in Australia, society is classified as secular. That is, the majority of people do not accept the Bible's teachings to govern their lives. Is it any wonder, then, that crime and social misbehaviour is on the increase? Is it any wonder that repeat offenders are not being put in prison? The prisons are full. Instead, many repeat offenders are being given good behaviour bonds, which, in the majority of cases, means very little. Commit a crime, get arrested, and then be given another good behaviour bond. Commit a second crime and be given another bond, and so on. The legal system is unable to cope. There seems to be no answers to the problems. Just one more comment on this issue. We have, and rightly so, government agencies to deal with child abuse. But these agencies are under so much pressure that they cannot cope. In South Australia it's well known that there's such a backlog of child abuse cases that the department is swamped and is getting further and further behind all the time. So much for secular society. Relationships are fractured. Society is becoming more and more fractured. Harmony, for many, is a distant dream. Now, what about reconciliation? Reconciliation may happen after relationships are broken. You probably know someone who's not talking to someone else they once loved. Not only not talking, but having nothing to do with the other person. Relationships are breaking down all around us. Husbands and wives part company. Children don't want to have anything to do with their parents. It's all too familiar. And did you know that two in every five marriages in Australia fail? But where 
does it go wrong in the first place? Well, separation usually comes about because someone in the relationship does the wrong thing. That wrong thing might be adultery, abuse, disregard for the rights of the other person, selfishness, substance abuse, and so on. In a previous program, I mentioned to you about a father whose son became mixed up in taking non-prescribed drugs. The father's sad comment was, I wish a crocodile would eat him. A good friend of mine was involved in a marriage breakup. Reconciliation was impossible. My friend remarried and is now happy. But there is only bitterness, disappointment and animosity between him and his former partner. Another ugly mess. There are four steps leading to reconciliation. Firstly, there is a relationship where people respect each other. Second, that relationship is broken because one of the parties does the wrong thing. Third, a separation occurs. When the separation happens, there's a lot of hurt. And that separation is quite often permanent. Fourth, someone, maybe a third party or one of the parties involved, takes the initiative to resolve the problem. There are many stories of where people have been in conflict resulting in separation. There are less stories about forgiveness and reconciliation. Conflict and reconciliation involves individuals and people groups and even nations. But do you know of the conflict and reconciliation involving the whole world and every human being. The conflict is better known as the Great Controversy. It involves God and a great enemy, Satan. When God created the world, it was beautiful. There was harmony between mankind and nature. There was innocence and there was peace. But because Lucifer, also known as Satan, who coveted God's position, he began a rebellion in heaven. Lucifer was thrown out of heaven and came then to this beautiful, innocent, peaceful earth. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 9, tells the story. It says, And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But they were not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. And, as Genesis 3 explains, Satan continued his rebellion by attacking God's creation and in particular by attacking those whom God had put in charge of the world. And this was Adam and Eve 
the parents of all humanity. Satan told Adam and Eve a lie and they fell for it. And instead of doing what God wanted, they did what Satan wanted, thus yielding their allegiance to him. He then assumed the position of ruler of this world. The Bible describes him as the prince of this world. You can read that in the book of John, chapter twelve, thirty-one. And so, for thousands of years, Satan has continued his rebellion by assuming his position as master of the world and master over human beings and by getting them to be part of his rebellion. How has that happened, you may ask? Well, of course, by getting them to sin, by getting them to break God's laws, to go against what God wanted. Has Satan been successful? Unfortunately, yes. Romans 3.23 answers that question. It says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So, here's the scene. Mankind was in charge of the planet Earth. Mankind gave up its authority by acceding to the wishes of a mighty supernatural rebel. What then could God do? Should he just abandon those him he created? Should he destroy them? Should he sit in his ivory tower and watch humanity destroy itself under the command of Satan? In each case, his own character would have been called to question. Because, you see, God operates from a basis of love. How could a God of love deal with this unwanted and undesirable situation? The answer is by stepping in personally. And that, my friends is what Christmas is all about. You see, God had a plan from the beginning. The plan was that if anything went wrong, he would step in to make things right. We can read this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. The Bible says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, money, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. That's comforting. God knew what would happen and was prepared for it. The first advent of Jesus happened because mankind had no way to escape the consequences of sin. Having sinned, the consequence was death. But God could not just watch and see people, the pinnacle of his creation, become destroyed because of their wrong choices to serve an enemy who had no real interest in them. He had to do something. 
So Jesus, God the Word, or God the Son, was sent to this earth on a rescue mission. But, you may ask, why did he have to become a human like we are? Why couldn't he have he kept all his glory and come to us as Almighty God? The patriarch Job expressed something which points us to the answer of this question. In Job chapter 10 verses 4 and 5 we read where Job was addressing God. He said, Do you have eyes of flesh? Do you see as a mortal sees? Are your days like those of a mortal? In other words, Job is saying, God, how can you relate to us human beings? You live on a different level to us. How can you understand what we humans must have to go through? But God did know. Jesus God the Son forsook his position in glory in heaven to take on the role as reconciler. Yes, Jesus was born as a human. He experienced hunger. He was tempted. He experienced all the emotions and feelings that we humans experience. He understood and had to deal with rejection, pain, physical torture, and finally, death. He didn't do this for himself. He did it for us, you and me. You see, when someone who's never experienced sorrow tries to sympathise with someone who is sorrowful, their attempts to comfort the sorrowing one are not taken seriously. But when someone who's been through the same experience offers their comfort, we know what they say is real. They've been there. They know what it's like. And Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 explains further. For we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but we have one, who has in every way been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. We'll have a little break and go on straight afterwards. My Saviour Face to face What will it be When with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ Who died for me Face to face I shall behold Him by and 
Jesus know what it's like to be human. He's been there, done that. And because of that, we can trust him. We can relate to him. He's not some sort of alien zombie. He came to save us. So here is the picture. God is holy. God is righteous. Sin cannot exist in the presence of God. We human beings, because of our actions, and because of the influence of the enemy, Satan, we've sinned and forfeited our rights to the presence of God, and thereby we have forfeited our rights to eternal life. We cannot just kiss and make up with God. There is a law which demands punishment of the guilty. And there is no way as humans we can pay to have that punishment of death removed. So we're stuck. There's no way out except through the actions of God. God was proactive and provided a way of escape. Jesus became our mediator. He made the reconciliation between God and man. By accepting what Jesus has done for us, it is possible for us to be forgiven our sins and to be able to live in the presence of God. You see, Jesus took on himself the punishment that should have been ours. In other words, he paid the legal requirement of death in our place. A little story. Some years ago, in a one-teacher, small country school in America, there were rules about various misbehaviours. The rule regarding stealing was that the thief would receive six strokes of the cane across the bare back. The children of the school, as you can imagine, were very well behaved. Then it happened. One day, one of the children, Big Sam, found that he had no lunch in his school satchel. He usually had a hearty lunch. Then the same thing happened on another day, soon afterward. And before long, a pattern began to emerge. At last, 
the perpetrator was discovered. It was a weedy boy from a poor family. His clothes were tattered and he came to school without any shoes, even in the bitterly cold winter. Although the teacher felt sorry for this child, the rules of the class had to be carried out. Young William was made to take his coat off and stand in front of the class for the teacher to administer the punishment. Reluctantly, William removed his shabby coat. Everyone was alarmingly surprised to find that he had no shirt, just bare skin. Well, the teacher reluctantly made William bend forward to receive his caning. But just before the first blow was administered, Big Sam leapt forward and requested the teacher to stop. Big Sam said, I'll take the punishment. Give me the caning. Let William go free. Now this was a turn of events. The one who deserved the punishment was set free. The one who did not deserve the punishment, though innocent, took the punishment. So Big Sam received the caning. Each stroke of the cane hurt, and Sam winced in pain. The requirements of the school law were met. William was free thanks to the grace of someone else. And that's just how it is with us and God. Jesus reconciled us with God the Father. He made it possible to reunite mankind, that's you and me, with our Maker. He took our punishment. How great is that? How great is our God who cares so much that he would do such a wonderful thing for us? Friends, I hope you choose to be part of this reconciliation. Jesus did just about everything for you. All you need to do is to accept the invitation. I really hope you do it. Do it now. Talk to God. Tell him that you want your sins forgiven. Ask for forgiveness and remind him that Jesus came to this sinful planet for that very purpose. Don't worry that you might not have all the right words to say. Just tell God what's on your mind. Open your heart to him. He will listen. Well, that's it for today. And I hope you join me again next time. Between now and then, I wish you God's blessings and joy and peace.